Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create those products that customers love. Now, the topic we're talking about is UX, and it is a hot topic, and for good reason. The right UX skills on a product team can make the product more successful. What about the wrong skills? Well, they waste money and time. Many product managers and leaders make mistakes when adding UX roles to their product teams, but you won't be one of them because of this discussion. My guest shares the common mistakes and how to avoid them. He organizes UX skills into three categories, research, interaction design, and visual design. Using the right skill at the right time during the development of the product, well, that's what's important. Otherwise, you'll encounter that square peg in the round hole sort of problem, and no one is happy with that. My guest has been a product manager and a UX specialist for more than 15 years of experience. He has built UX teams from scratch and now helps organizations build and manage successful teams. His name is Sam Horodesky. You'll find the summary of our discussion at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 189. Just to let you know, the audio does drop out just a little bit during the discussion places, just slightly. Nothing that really gets in the way of the valuable information that Sam shares. So I'm still sure you're going to enjoy the interview. And also as an update, I am still out on the road doing my three-month tour of the Northeast, interviewing people along the way. I'll be bringing some valuable discussions to you in the future from some of those adventures. But now for the UX discussion. Sam, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. No problem. Happy to be here. So we're going to dive into the topic of UX in relationship to product management. And you are a great person to talk to about this because you're a UX professional helping companies with UX issues. And you have been a product manager in the past too. Can you just give us some insights into that experience that that I think that's kind of a, a unique perspective having both roles? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that, you know, I first started thinking when I was uh, started out being a UX designer is that there's kind of a judge and jury and there's a bit of a scales of justice things going on, which is that the UX designer always wants like a really fancy, hard to code solution. And that's Mm. just because they typically want drag and drop and they, you know, are very fixated on making everything look really great, which means, you know, the CSS and HTML are going to be difficult or, or whatever you're, you're coding. And, so that means it's more expensive to build and it takes longer. So there's always this, there's this tension. There's both sides. There's the uh, engineering and engineering is not necessarily pushing back, but just saying, hey, look, this is, you know, if you want to do it this way, it's going to be really complicated and it's going to cause us to do this, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and it could mm-hmm. be more buggy. And the UX designer, of course, wants to push for, you know, the most elegant, best possible solution. So I always thought that, yeah, okay, but the, so there needs to be a judge and jury there somewhere. And the basically the judge and jury differs depending on the organization, but in many organizations, that judge and jury is the product manager. Mm. So basically resolves, you know, okay, what, how much of an investment are we going to make here? Uh, you know, how fancy should the UI be? Do I need to ask the UX designer to dial it down? Or do I need to t- tell engineering that, you know, yeah, this is actually what I want. So when I became more of a product manager, it was actually really difficult to now be the judge and jury, right? Mm. Is that I'm the one so, you know, the UX designer still reported to me, but I needed to make decisions about whether or not, 
you know, their designs were going to go as is, or if we needed to basically simplify them or often cut out features or change requirements or basically do what the, the product manager does. So that was really difficult um, to basically play that, play that role. And gave you some unique insights about that tension that exists there. Because you, you had to see it now from the other perspective, right? To oh, yeah. be responsible for creating the value for the customer. Well, it was a huge, for me, it was like a huge eye-opener to be on the side of the business, right? Mm -hmm. To be viewing things from the side of the business and from the side of, oh, geez, this is how much stuff costs. And I, you know, I never, cost wasn't something I thought about, especially when I was a junior designer. And even mm -hmm. when I was more senior, I actually had like next to no visibility to it. So um, it really changed my mindset a lot. And I think that's actually one of the things that differentiates experienced designers from more junior ones. And this is something I only learned over time is that when you have that business sense, it really changes how you view design. That's really good experience. The I think anytime we can step into the shoes of another role, kind of see that what happens there is really valuable. My background originally is engineering, then you know, got into product management. At one point, I was working very closely with sales teams and at one point actually became technically a salesperson in the organization. That brought a whole new perspective, right? Just seeing what goes on there in that close customer interaction and really valuable to, to have that added to. And, and uh, sounds like the same for you, being in both roles. Let's talk about those roles a little bit, just kind of level set the terms we're talking about. How would you describe the role of product manager and the role of UX professional? So I don't know if I can fully do justice to product manager. I mean, I definitely subscribe to the uh, pragmatic marketing chart, right? And I'm sure everybody's familiar with uh, goes, you know, all the way into, you know, marketing and uh, has, you know, I don't know, 36 boxes or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, to, to simplify it, the way I look at it is if you have a Venn diagram and in the middle is bu the business, right? And then you also have two adjacent rings. One is design and one is technology. Uh -huh. And some product managers have more intersection with the technology part to the point they almost have zero in design. I mean, if they're actually product management over APIs, then they have zero over design, as, at least as the way I define design. And so people whose title is like technical product manager, that's that's where their competency is. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you have a bunch, you definitely have product managers who have virtually no technical capability, um, who are much more interested in sculpting the user experience or sculpting the design and the requirements. And those people tend, the, the, the diagram overlap is more on the, the design side. But of course, you have a balance where you have people where they, they have both intersection with uh, technology and also with, with design. Mm -hmm. So that's how I think about product manager. But uh, of course, I think, you know, as far as your listeners go, where I add value has to do with um, defining user experience. Now, you know, it, it's kind of a thorny issue is what is user experience and where does it uh, even start and end. So I have my own way of phrasing it, but uh, I won't say that there is a common understanding. There's a general common understanding of what UX is, but not really specific about where it starts and ends and what people are, what specific roles are. So I'll divide it up into three different things. The first would be UX research, uh, and this is often very early in the process, and UX research is going out and uh, finding either latent needs or understanding uh, what the user is doing and what kind of mistakes they make. And often, you know, it's supposed to be an ethnographic survey is supposed to actually come from like anthropology, like some guys going out there with his binoculars. So I've done that many, many times and, um, you know, go on site and actually watch people using a program and see when they write stuff down and, you know, 
I remember one time for me, I, I discovered that someone was keeping an entire Excel sheet outside of the application. Like the purpose of the application was for her to do all her work on the app. And instead she literally logged everything in Excel. So right. that's the kind of thing you can't learn unless you're like actually there. Um, so there's that, the research and research also would include usability testing. Usability testing often comes up a little bit later in the process. It really de depends. Um, and that's more like actually doing uh, having when you have a prototype or when you have an actual beta or an actual product, then you basically are asking people if they can complete certain tasks. Um, it used to be that testing was like white lab testing, like you had and you would bring, bring people in and you had multiple you know cameras and you could see them from all angles. But nowadays the, the te technology is really getting strong. So there's actually such a thing as unmoderated testing um, where you can literally like write a test and then just have it completely automated and you just contact like 200 people and then within an hour you can have you know 200 results. Now it still needs to be analyzed, but um, anyway, so the, so, uh, the, the field is definitely evolving because of the, te the technology when mm -hmm. it comes to actual testing. All right, so that's one segment, UX research. And you can see there's quite a lot there, right? And so you could literally spend your entire career just in that or even just even a subsection, right, of doing the ethnography. Mm -hmm. And the second section I'm going to call interaction design. And interaction design is a very popular term, and it's kind of like 50% working with requirements, 50% beginning to actually lay out uh, the user interface. And you, interaction designers often get into micro interactions, which are like little, like you know, what happens when the mouse rolls over here, or what happens when the mouse moves over here, or how exactly do things behave? You'd be surprised how complicated drag and drop can be. There's actually multiple states in drag and drop that you need to nail if you're actually going to get the experience right. So an interaction designer basically interacts with product management or with who's, or with the UX researchers, but who's ever setting the requirements, and then they add their own sort of creative lens on top of that and then begin to create the UI. And then finally, you'll have the visual designer, uh, and the visual designer is the one who... Um, takes that and turns it into something that is, you know, actually attractive. And, you know, but you, often you have people who are kind of hybrid interaction design, uh, visual designers. A lot of visual designers don't like the idea that all they do is they come in at the last second and just like make it pretty. Right. Um, and, and that's not really what it is. I mean, they're part of a team and they're part of the a team that is uh, building the product together. So they have insights, you know, they can have insights across the whole project. Absolutely. Okay, so we got those three categories, right? The researcher, interaction design, and, and visual design. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really good for us to hear that, that you know, UX kind of has this larger breadth than maybe sometimes we think about starting back with that customer research, right? Trying to uncover the latent needs, maybe doing ethnographic studies, uh, something we've talked about before, where you're really doing that early on customer research and trying to just come up with, is there an opportunity here, right? And, and how, what problem should we be solving and how might we solve that problem? Well, related to the actual first question, there is quite a bit of intersection now between some of the things that uh, product managers are starting to do in the lean movement, right? So mm -hmm. in the lean movement, the idea is fail fast, build a prototype in a week or, you know, do, do the Google uh, sprints within two weeks and, and get immediate results. And product managers are often driving that. So you have this idea that, there's people going to users like immediately. And so there's definitely, I see right now in the field that it's kind of a tension between 
product managers who are doing lean type of activities who are really going to end users and trying to get feedback and the UX designers who also, or sorry, UX researchers who are also doing the same thing. I'm not sure how that's going to shake out actually, because they are doing things in a slightly different way, but they're essentially doing the same thing. Right. You know, if I'm inside a company looking to have a contractor come in and help with this, you know, doing this research in some sense, who might I look at? I might look at a UX person. I might look at a customer researcher, market researcher, right? There's these different titles that go around, which always just adds a little bit of ambiguity to, to the state of things. But the skill set seems to be very much in common. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute. This episode of The Everyday Innovator is brought to you by Product Innovation Educators, your one place for online training to make the move from product manager to product master. When you enroll in one of our online courses, it's like having Chad McAllister as your personal coach. In each course, you get video lessons, added resources, and a private community for collaboration with other product managers and innovators. And, of course, you get direct access to Chad, who will answer your questions and get you heading in the right direction. Past students tell us the concepts, practices, and tools are valuable, but the real benefits they gain are being more confident, increasing their influence in their organization, and generating greater success for themselves and their company. There are four levels of training to become a product master. Find your level now. Get started by going to theeverydayinnovator.com forward slash master. You're one place to become a product master. TheEverydayInnovator.com forward slash master. Don't wait. Get started now. UX people often, I think, have a more grounded skill set when it comes to the psychology of the customers and more deeply understanding their needs. That might be a big generalization. I don't know what you have found. Yeah, that's a pretty big generalization. <laughs> so you have to realize that UX is like a really hot field now. You know, it's, it, always, it routinely comes in the top 10 jobs of, you know, glass doors. And, and uh, I think there's one other I'm, that I'm forgetting. But so you have a lot of new blood coming in. And it used to be absolutely in the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s that people were entering psychology, were entering through psychology or cognitive psychology. And mm -hmm. that's how I entered. More and more people are, are coming in through through design schools. And by design school, I mean literally like a school that grants a bachelor's of arts. Sorry, not of arts, of fine arts. So a, a BFA or a MFA. And so their background is actually more approaching it from the visual design um, uh, field. So we really see that now. I mean, so one thing about a UX designer that, you know, your listeners probably don't really realize is there's no standard accreditization for UX. And it's really a source of tension in the field. And uh, it's, it's hard. It actually makes things very hard to interview. And that's part of, you know, kind of what I help with is that you can't just like go look for a, a particular degree. You have to look, look a lot deeper. And I always say, well, look, in 1950, there was no such thing as a uh, you know, computer science department, and there's no such thing as getting a bachelor's of science in computer science. But now everybody knows what a computer science degree is, and everyone knows what um, a developer does. Like, that's a defined role. But we are nowhere near that um, right now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know whether I'm hopeful or not, but I mean, <laughs> or optimistic versus pessimistic, but the, the idea would be hopefully we'll get to a point where there is a standard degree um, that everybody understands and recognizes. And I mean, there's some progress in that area, but 
really it's it's across the board. There's absolutely people from psychology. As I said, there's a really big influx of people from design schools. And then the other thing is um, there's something called human factors. That's another more old school thing, but there's still tons of master's degrees and very popular degrees in human factors. And then also something called HCI, human computer interaction. And those people are typically in computer science and their background is actually making stuff. So they like to push the boundaries of the technology and they're the ones who are coming up with all this, you know, trying to push augmented reality or push virtual reality or, or whatever. And that's the kind of work that they're doing. So there really is no standard background today. There's a lot of different options, but a lot of people coming at it from a different approach. And so I personally absolutely believe you have to have a knowledge of human psychology to be a designer. But I can tell you, even in some of the new programs that are coming up, um, they actually don't have even a single compulsory course in cognitive psychology. So I, I don't like that. I don't personally agree with it. But anyway, that's just to say is that not all UX designers are coming from uh, the perspective of trying to understand how the user's brain works. I guess I can see that kind of diversification happening. Sounds like organizations then are faced with lots of options and that, that clouds the decision-making and probably just makes it a little bit uncertain in the beginning about what is it we actually need. So if we're trying to maybe build from the ground up a UX capability uh, in our product teams, or we're just, we, we recognize there's some other things to do. Maybe we're listening, you know, someone's listening to this now and saying, wow, you know, our UX to date has really been around the interaction design. I mean, that's what we've been doing. Maybe we should look at improving our depth and, you know, think about this a little bit differently. How do we go about creating a better UX capability in our product teams? What, what where should we start with this? You know, first of all, the first reaction of people when they realize that they need some help is that they just sort of think, okay, I need a UX designer yeah. or I need a UX person, but they don't even realize that that doesn't mean anything, right? That um, there are, as I've defined it, three different ways, three different kind of ways of looking at it. But again, there's many multiple ways of doing it. But when you go out on the market and look for someone called a UX designer, you could be getting lots of different things. So you really have to focus on kind of what what you what your need is. Now, I will say that there's there's definitely like let's say you're starting you're you're realizing that you need some kind of UX competency and by that you basically have probably understood that um your product is not user friendly or possibly that it's not attractive. People have made comments about it either in your NPS scores or in other ways that, you know, the user experience isn't where it needs to be. Um, you have to think about what are you going to do? Now the, there's a really common reaction, which is to try to just dip your toe in and try to get like a junior designer. The problem with that, when you're bringing UX on, you're not just bringing on a person, you're bringing a whole process change, right? You're changing how the R&D team builds product. And previous to whatever this UX designer is going to be doing, there was someone else doing their job, whether it was a product manager or an engineer or hmm. like collaboration. There, there were always other people doing it. And all of a sudden, this new person's coming in and they are going to take away somebody what somebody else was doing so frequently there's kind of like ownership tensions uh, when you when you start but more than that they're beginning to they need to figure out how to build a process whereby 
user experience can interact with both product management and engineering and the office of the PMO and whoever, you know, whoever else often sales and pre-sales are going to be involved. And that's a relatively mature thing, right? To figure, to, to develop a process. I really believe that the first thing that someone should do is be thinking about the process and be hiring someone who's going to be capable of working out that process and basically doing a, a DNA change at the organization, changing how it builds product. And so a junior person right out of school is actually not the right fit because they've actually learned a highly theoretical model of how products get built, which never actually happens, right? Because right? in the theoretical model, you like do usability testing all the time. And in the real world, you know, there's so much time pressure. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's just one thing. So I definitely recommend getting a, a Someone maybe who's senior but with room to grow, who has done it before, who's been in the real world, who has you know maybe five experience, five years experience or even more, and that and I think that's more important than the specific skill set that they have. Um, again, going back to those three categories because the process is so important. Now, again, you do get to decide well which which skill set do I want? And there's something called the UX unicorn. Uh, I don't know how many of your listeners have heard of this, but this is you know a term that's used with much derision uh, derision in uh, in Twitter land and elsewhere. And, you know, the idea is that there's someone who can do everything, who can Mm -hmm. do the entire breadth of all of UX. And the reason we call it a unicorn is because it doesn't exist. And then there's all these debates about whether it exists or doesn't exist. So people are definitely going to be tempted to get, try to get a unicorn startups in particular, right? Startups, you know, never want to have to get multiple people. They're always going to want to get a junior person because it costs less. And so they're always looking for that unicorn. I mean, how many times do you see the rock star wants it? I mean, that's another thing that, you know, I joke about with my UX colleagues is like to put into job description, we need a UX rock star. Like who doesn't want a UX rock star? Um, So, you know, in my opinion, you have to kind of decide what kind of person you want, depending on what your need is. If you're doing an iOS app and it's not all that complicated, you actually probably want someone on the more on the visual design side who can make sure that it looks really great and is certainly able to put together screens and mock up different different screens. But if it's not that messy, then you know there's no reason to go get someone who really specializes in micro design, you know, micro interactions. And the same thing is like if you've got a fairly well-defined product plan that's B to C, you probably don't need a researcher to go look at unmet needs. Like that's just not necessary. On the other hand, if you have a B to B product, which is extremely complicated and has already been 10 years in the field, which is super complicated, then you know, the visual design is like the last thing that you need. You know, you really need to start w- looking at the complexity that you have and how do you harness that complexity and make it sort of more simple and how do you wrangle the requirements in a way that's, you know, to make it meaningful. So there is no pat answer to like, who should you hire? What I would say is you your first your first person should probably not be a junior person, mm-hmm. but also isn't necessarily going to be super, you know, you don't necessarily need to hire a VP, but hire someone who can tango with, you know, the other senior people in the, on the team and help develop the process and then figure out which part of the UX subs, subset you need the most. And then you can build from there. Yeah. So based on the product that you have, the products, the market you're serving, maybe the maturity of those products gives really good insights into the three categories of activities, uh, what you might need to emphasize right now. The other thing that came out as you were talking about that, that I was listening to, was characterized as the DNA change. Mm-hmm. Bringing in a, an experienced UX person is going to change how you actually develop products. When we think about what is our actual need here, 
recognizing that that is part of the need and that that is part of the outcome is a really big deal, right? Because we're not just hiring a person, we're actually setting our down a path to change how we are going to go about integrating UX in our design. Yeah, I mean, it is so easy to fail just because of that. I mean, it's 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 equivalent to going agile. I mean, it's just it's a it's a really big deal, um, just because you're changing the nature of how you build things, um, and uh, and it's not easy. And I've I've seen multiple multiple failed attempts in my career. Um, you know, some actually, I, something I should definitely say is that. Um, some people, when they want to start doing UX, the first thing they go do is go to a UX agency. And I even know of cases where people blew millions and millions of dollars trying to figure out how to crack the UX nut. The problem is the agency lives outside of the organization. And at some point, the, the agency leaves, right? I mean, that's the nature of the agency. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's a DNA change, but also if your DNA change lives outside of your organization, then you're not really achieving DNA change. Right. Um, so, and agencies, agencies play their role. Uh, you know, they, they can be useful for a lot of things, but when you're first trying to grow your capability agency, at least in my opinion, is not the, the direction to go. Okay. So starting with a clear understanding of the need and don't just go out and kind of bolt on the junior UX designer person into the team, but find someone that can actually help with this DNA change. Good place to start. Is there another step now that we should be thinking about in terms of improving our, or creating our UX capability? Yeah. Teams grow. And at one point when you start an agile team, you may or may not actually hire a scrum master. Uh, it's the same thing with when you're building UX, you know, you're going to be missing some competencies. So the way that I view UX is that when people get a taste of it, they really love it and they want more and more. So you're always, you know, if, if you're successful, you're going to end up trying to make decisions about second and third hires. So, you know, one thing is if you are hiring someone who is not more visually inclined, you'll almost right away need some kind of budget to interact with a, a consultant or an agency or whatever, you, you know, or go on Fiverr and Upwork or whatever. There's a lot of different approaches you can mm-hmm. take um, depending on your budget and your desires. Um, so you can start of start small by adding adding that type of capability or you know often you'll want to hire someone again and that's when you can start hiring more junior people because you have someone around who can mentor them and who at least knows something about uh you know sort of the breadth of the field so mm-hmm. there's no again just like there's no pet answer to who's your first hire there's no pet answer to who's your second and third hire but obviously you're going to start to fill in the the holes that you have and one right. A clear hole is typically going to be usability testing. So if the first your, your first hire is probably not just going to be a researcher because the researcher can't like turn it into a design, but at some point you're going to want someone who either does research or do, does usability testing so you can validate early. So that's going to be a common one. Uh, or like I said, if you if you have a interaction designer and you're really got someone who's kind of in the weeds trying to um, wrangle the the requirements and wrangle the complexity, then at some point you're going to want to bring a visual designer on board. Yeah. It's all dependent on what your initial need is, tying back to the product and the market and those kind of three categories are where, where you might see UX. Yeah. Or, you know, like I said, not everybody believes in those three categories. They yeah. have other categories, but there's a mix. The point is that it's a mix mm-hmm. of capabilities and competencies. And that's where I don't even really like, even if the uni- UX unicorns actually exist existed and were easy to get you still are going to want to build your team in a way that um you know at some point people have specialized responsibility and they're 
responsible for something in particular, and then you build a process about how they speak to each other and coordinate. And it takes time to build up the team and get everyone working well together and, and understanding each other and not stepping on each other's shoes, so to speak, too. Exactly. Really good information. I'm sure we could talk more about how to improve this capability, but that gives us a really good foundation to start with. And maybe a little bit of a mind shift that we're not just bolting on UX onto a product team, but thinking about how it really impacts what we do as product managers and how we develop products. I think that's really key here. I love innovation quotes. I always ask a guest for one. What do you have for us? Yeah, I mean, I have a couple, but my the one I chose for this interview is design should be as simple as possible but no simpler. This is attributed to Albert Einstein, but really it was told to me by one of my mentors, Tony Choi. And Albert Einstein really never said that. He said something much more complicated that kind of boiled down to that, but he didn't talk about design at all. It was like much more general than mm -hmm. that. So, so it's kind of like a hybrid between, between Tony and Albert Einstein. And what I love about it is... I mean, like, look, everybody knows design should be simple or anyone who's a designer. Kiss, keep it simple, stupid is like a fundamental principle. Right. But the thing is that so that but then it just adds on that subtle part, but no simpler. And that but no simpler is so important. Um, and that's another thing that, you know, you learn as you become a more and more mature designer is that there are some things that just cannot be made to be more simple, uh, especially in the B2B world, which um, actually is my specialty, where there is a huge amount of complexity. I mean, if you boil it down to be too simple, then it doesn't have the power that it needs. And there's actually an inverse complexity, uh, inverse relationship between power and simplicity. And just as an example, think about the Facebook privacy settings. Mm. Now, the privacy settings are a total mess. I don't know whether they could be improved or not, to be honest. I haven't really looked at them, but they are very complicated. And the reason that they're complicated is because they're very, very powerful. And if someone reduced, if, if a designer came in and was like, oh, okay, this is a total mess. We need to simplify this. So that there's only three options, for example. Well, then what would happen is that all the users would be totally freaking out that they don't have the privacy settings that they, they want. Complexity is a necessary part of usability design, and you need to learn how to work with that complexity and to boil it down to as simple as you can without dumbing it down. KISS is great recognizing that there is the as simple as you can, but no simpler part of exactly. that. So it's a really appropriate quote. I appreciate you sharing it with us. And how can uh, listeners find out more about the work that you're doing? You say, say you're specializing in the B2B space too. If people want to follow up with you and connect with you, how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, uh, after 17 years in basically working for enterprise companies, um, I have a one-man consultancy with the goal of helping companies figure out how to begin their UX practice. So I have a website, uh, sdesign.io, and uh, people can go there. And actually, for this podcast, I created a UX scorecard. So people can actually go there. You'll see right at the top right, there's a menu, something called a UX scorecard, and it's an Excel document that can allow you to evaluate your own UX capabilities. So people can just go to that, uh, to that website. Again, it's sdesign.io. And um, yeah, now I also, since we talked about DNA change, um, I've actually written an article called uh, something like successful UX requires DNA change. And you can see that either off my website or you can just do a Google search for you know, DNA change UX on my name and that'll come up. Excellent. And I will find the links for all those. Make sure they're in the show notes to make this easy to get to. And thanks for creating that UX scorecard resource for our listeners. 
I'm looking forward to checking that out too. Sam, really appreciate your time. Tell us your website one more time. Sdesign.io. Great. Thanks for the information about UX and how we can better integrate UX into our product teams. Great. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you, Chad. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator. Remember, this is the place where you make your move from product manager to product master, gaining that all-important influence and also confidence that you'll need to create products that customers love. Find the summary of the discussion with Sam at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 189. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.